Before we begin this week's episode, we'd like to pay our respects to Diego Maradona, who passed away yesterday at the age of 60. As a player, he had it all. Quick feet, a deceptive turn, a thunderous shot, and a hand blessed with divine powers. He was one of football's greatest ever icons, and he will be missed. Welcome back to the second episode of Who Scored Again, a weekly podcast focused on the Premier League with an eye towards improving your fantasy teams. This week, we take a look back at the weekend's results, Champions League results, and a look ahead to the upcoming fixtures and what that all means for your FPL squads. I'm your host, Abin, and I'm so glad to be back with you guys again. So let's get started, shall we? Another weekend gone, another set of great results <laughs> accompanying it. And now we have Spurs, Spurs of all teams, sitting on top of the table after a great result against Manchester City, which is a great place to start because I watched that game, I watched that game in a bar with a few friends, and at no point did I ever feel that City were going to score. I mean, they did score and that goal was controversially ruled off for handball, and that just comes down to how you interpret the rule these days. Interpret, interpret the rules these days. But apart from that, City had all the ball and it was classic Mourinho. Throughout his career, Mourinho has always been um, pretty adamant that he does not like having the ball. He feels that it forces mistakes. And Pep, who knows Mourinho pretty well, still plays, always ends up playing into his hands. Yes, his, the record speaks for itself. Pep outmatches Mourinho by a crazy stat. But over the last couple of years, when Pep's plan A is starting to fail with seemingly no sight of a plan B anywhere uh, near the horizon, Mourinho has slowly been catching up. And you know what? This looks like second season Mourinho at Spurs. It, this looks like a trapping. It has the trappings of a team that are capable of going all the way, especially in a season as crazy as this. Prior to the season, I had my hopes. I mean, I didn't have my hopes. I begrudgingly accepted that Liverpool were going to win this. But, and then with that injury record, with them losing Van Dijk and Matip, and, so not Matip, uh, and Gomez and then Trent, and then um, Salah getting tested positive for COVID, Mane prior to him as well. The injury record hasn't been the best for uh, Liverpool, who were exceptional on the weekend as well. But we're digressing. We'll get to them later. So let's get back to Spurs. Now, the blueprint for Mourinho teams is usually to give the opposition all the ball, sit back, wait, wait for a mistake, and then pounce. And now he finally has a setup that is capable of executing that plan to perfection. He's got Kane playing in the number 10 role, so... He ends up dropping back a lot deeper, leaving the likes of Son, Bergwijn, and Lucas Moura to run ahead of him. And it worked. Uh, one ball over the top from Tangy and Dombele set uh, Son on his way, and in the first five minutes, it was one in the Spurs. And then City huffed and puffed and huffed and puffed, Kevin De Bruyne uh, getting redder with each passing cross. But it did not work. The passing was terrible. There was no ideas. And giving it to Kevin De Bruyne every five minutes is all well and good. But even if he's having a bad game, you are asking for trouble. And that's exactly what happened. On the 60th, 60th minute or on the 63rd minute, Mourinho brings on Gio Lo Celso. Within seconds of coming on, he latches onto a cane pass and scores 
makes it 2-0, good night, game over. And we have now come to a point where Mourinho is clearly in the ascendancy and Pep is declining and fast. His general aversion to a plan B is causing major problems to that city team because in the Centurion season when he had all his personnel in place, they were impossible to play against because people didn't know how to play against them. A season later, people were sussing them out, but he had just about enough on the locker, enough leaders in the dressing room to pull them over the line and, you know, see off a title challenge in Liverpool. It did not work last year. With Vincent Company retiring and generally the spine of that team going, Pep's replacements haven't lit up that team at all. You could say Jesus has been pretty average. Kyle Walker has been good. Mendy has been atrocious. Cancelo is slowly playing himself into form. The jury's still out on Ferran Torres. And his reason to get rid of Leroy Sane, or rather not persuade him, persuade him enough to stay, is now coming back to Hans City, especially when they needed a direct winger to run it fullback, so just run it defenses from, from out wide. And his insistence on not changing a plan, not trying to figure out an alternative to his footballing philosophy is causing him more trouble than it should. He's been given a two-year deal at City. They are now classifying this as a rebuild, which is which is honestly quite hilarious. Um, but that's where City are. And as for Mourinho Spurs, few teams look like catching them this season. I could be all wrong because they do have a set of daunting fixtures coming up in the next couple of weeks. But currently, Mourinho's got his swagger. He's clean-shaven. He's witty in the media. His star striker is on fire. Hyungmin Son is amongst the goals. This is a great time to be a Spurs fan because there aren't any expectations. Nobody expects Spurs to win the league, let's be honest. But Mourinho can pull it off and... Currently, they're in the conversation. 20, 20 points on top of the Premier League tied with Liverpool, who we'll get to in a bit, is no laughing matter. You could say they've had an easy set of fixtures, but that performance against City was a marker as to how good a Mourinho team can be and how good it is when he gets it right. I completely expect it to all uh, fall to tears in the next uh, year or so, but Till the end of the season, or till, I'd say, till January, things are looking good for Spurs. Another London team in the conversation for a title is Chelsea. I am still of the opinion that Frank Lampard may not last the season because there are too many players to bring into the squad and a lot of egos to manage and this being his second job, rather him being an infant in the managerial role may just end up being too much of a uh, cross to bear. That being said, he's currently proving me wrong because um, Chelsea have kept, what, six clean sheets in their last eight games. They're third, uh, I think they're, they're, they're about fourth in the league, just behind Leicester. No, I'm sure they're, I think, I think they're third. They're most definitely quick look at the table. Yeah, Chelsea are definitely third, Leicester are fourth, and Southampton Southampton are fifth. So, yeah, back to Chelsea. 
he um he's got them playing he's finally found a system where he knows his his front row and he may have been forced into it with the injury of Christian Pulisic um but his but him choosing to opt with Tammy up front and Timo Werner coming in off the left with ZX applying crosses in from the right is working on uh, their performance against Newcastle who also a little to no resistance to be honest they had Callum Wilson in training all week and he didn't show up because Steve Bruce probably deemed it too unnecessary a game for him to even risk. It was a a Fernandez own goal that set the tone, and Timo Werner's jinking run in the second half to set up Tammy Abraham would settle the points. And I last week had predicted that it could have been a tricky place to go because traditionally Chelsea don't do well at St James Park, but this time Frank managed to get a tune out of them. He has been managing to get a tune out of them, and. With their result in the Champions League yesterday at Rennes, right at the death, with Olivier Giroud coming on and scoring a late, late winner, it just goes to show where the mentality of that team currently is. I wouldn't write them off for a title charge. I feel, compared to Spurs, they obviously have a team more garnered towards mounting a sustained title bid. Uh, the Thursday-Sunday playing schedule for Spurs may eventually detail their season given how much Mourinho likes playing his 11 starters in every single game he possibly can so with Chelsea Chelsea are my dark horse for the league this year I feel um, if Lampard manages to you know to steer the ship in the way it's going it could only mean good things for them now my team Man United who uh, wow let's be honest were, were atrocious against West Brom I think since we got twacked, or rather, like, I'm going to stop saying we, it just sounds unprofessional, since United got twacked um, 6-1 against Spurs, Ollie's gotten a lot more conservative with his uh, with his footballing tactics, always hop- opting to play two holding mids, um, as opposed to the, the mattish Bruno Pogba midfield that we'd seen post-lockdown and in the early part of the season. But... West Brom were good. Actually, West Brom looked more threatening that day and they really should have had a penalty, which I feel... I mean, I just said they really should have had a penalty, but if Bruno got the ball before the man, that is not a foul. And on the other end, that shouldn't have been a penalty either, but the handball rule is what it is. It's stupid and my hopefully by the end of the season or the start of the next season, uh, common sense will prevail and things will... And you know they will they will look at that, but in a complete case of blowing hot and cold, they ended up playing Istanbul Basakshir yesterday, no two days ago, and absolutely blew them apart in the first half. Bruno with a stunning volley from the edge of his own box, uh, running behind Cavani to um, tap home a second, and setting up and Rashford earning a penalty and scoring the third. Everyone on Twitter was complaining about how Bruno should have taken it, considering he is United's most prolific penalty scorer. But his opinion to give it, but his insistence on giving it to Rashford spoke more about the man than what is already is perceived in, in the general media. But once the substitutions happened in that game, and you know the Fab Four came off, United looked significantly disjointed going forward and had a mini scare. In about the 70th minute, from a free kick where De Gea 
saved, but it was already past the line. And nerves were settled eventually with Mason Greenwood um, running down the wing and setting up Dan James for eight happened. But the star performer of that of that evening was Edison Cavani, whose near post runs were causing pure havoc with the Istanbul backline. I mean, he had a part to play in all three goals, especially the first one where he makes a run. I mean, he stood next to the keeper near the corner, darts towards the near post, takes two defenders with him, leaves one defender to make an absolute hash of a clearance, and that falls to Bruno, who slams it home, 1-0. The second goal, um, the cross comes in, the keeper comes in anticipating Cavani to get a, get a head on it, completely misjudges it, falls straight into the path of Bruno, Bruno and bang, 2-0. Cavani's runs all evening were causing issues for Istanbul, and I don't see him starting this weekend because... He did play 90 minutes on the weekend. He did play 90 minutes uh, against Istanbul. And he's probably not going to feature against Southampton. But here's hoping I can, I'm can proven wrong because he's really making a difference to that. Now, this sets up the group very nicely for United, who are currently on 9 and with PSG and um, uh, and Leipzig, both on 6 with Basak Shahir on 3, who are effectively out of the tournament. But now it just comes down to what the next fixture is going to be that PSG versus United result will dictate who is going to be sitting pretty on top of the table because United just need a point to go through and if they a point to go through and a win to guarantee top status in irrelevant of irrelevant of what happens in the Leipzig game that 5-0 thwacking they handed out a couple of weeks ago um, may not serve Leipzig's best interests but this is Manchester United we're talking about, the post-Ferguson Manchester United, and I have zero faith in them still qualifying. I, I, I won't believe it till I see it. I have full faith that uh, they are going to cock it up as much as they possibly can. But yeah, I, I hope to be proven wrong. I really hope for a positive result against PSG uh, this weekend. Uh, next week, next Tuesday, I think is the... Now, looking at other results, Madrid beat Inter, uh, 2-0 convincingly, Vidal getting himself sent off within seconds, and the most uh, jarring one being Liverpool's loss to Atlanta. They lost 2-0 at Anfield uh, to two goals that were scored in quick succession in the 60th and 64th minute, which is very uncharacteristic of Liverpool, but you can't really blame Klopp because... They do play on a Wednesday, and they are the 12.30 kickoff game on Saturday against Brighton. He went on a tirade after the game against Leicester, which I still have to touch on about, um, about how this is killing teams and how like TV companies need to get a grip and figure out how best to keep the players protected, because this is killing them. There are going to be injuries, and they seem to be mounting for Liverpool, especially with but Liverpool's performance against Leicester was something spectacular because that was the game we all expected them to lose. Instead, they absolutely took Leicester to the cleaners. Leicester at no point were threatening enough to cause Liverpool any problems. They had that one Harvey Barnes half chance in the first half, but nothing, uh, nothing more threatening throughout the game. And Liverpool dealt with them with extreme ease, had a goal disallowed, Bobby Firmino scoring from a corner, 
which I think is a, a disgrace to any defense that lets Firmino jump up and score a header, especially in a contested box. That's just not right. So Leicester need to like dust themselves down, and they have a very interesting set of fixtures coming up ahead. And with that, I think we can now seek into our fantasy section of the podcast. What an absolute shit week. I cannot even begin to tell you how bad it was. I had 47 points with a minus 3, with a minus 4. So that left me on 43 with the game week average being 55. I made this stupid decision, guys. I, I decided to choose Rashford ahead of Bruno as my replacement for Salah. It backfired massively. I made Rashford captain. He got 6 points. Bruno got 22. And if you want to want to know why... I scored so less, there, there you have it. And everyone in my league had Bruno captain. Here I was trying to be smart, trying to catch a differential. But no, that did not work. <laughs> I paid for it so dearly and my hands are burned. I've had to like wildcard. But before I get into my wildcard team, I kind of want to take you through uh, what my what points my, teams, my team accumulated over the week. Um, McCarthy, Alex McCarthy at Southampton, despite conceding, got seven points. I didn't watch that game, but I assume... He had a bunch of saves to make. Cancelo with a big fat one. Bellerin, um, who, you know, <laughs> ironically ended up with nine, given how Arsenal were defending uh, with their backs to the ball against Leeds. The defender that actually should have gotten maximum bonus points was the woodwork and the crossbar, because that really saved Arsenal's ass a bunch of times. Bellerin with a, with a nine. Uh, Charlie Taylor with coming in. With a 7, a good 1-0 traditional Burnley win over Crystal Palace. Uh, Rashford being a horrible uh, result at 6. Jack Harrison, who has been quite useless for me, with 3. Daniel Pudence, who I still have in my team for reasons I don't know, with a 2. Jack Grealish uh, losing uh, with their loss to Aston Villa losing to Brighton with a 1. And, oh, that front three is, is, is frightening, frighteningly bad. Vardy has two, Kane has four, and Jimenez has five. From an assist for Pedro Neto uh, against, the, against Southampton. So, yes, a bit of a harder week. I've had to end up wildcarding. And the fixtures for this week look quite promising for a lot of teams if you're looking to uh, bring in some players. If you've got a free transfer and if you've got Kane in your squad, the right move now would be to switch to switch him to Vardy, who has a very interesting set of fixtures coming up. I think currently Vardy is the leading captain choice for most managers in the league, with a game coming up against Fulham. He's followed up by Salah against Brighton and Kevin De Bruyne up against Burnley. But generally, Leicester's fixtures over the next five weeks look good. They've got Fulham, they've got uh, Sheffield United, they've got Brighton and Everton, and then Tottenham. So for three game weeks, Vardy is a great captain choice if that's something you want to consider. Um, I am highly gravitating gravitating towards giving him the armband for this week. I have Salah in as well. I brought Salah back in now that he's been uh, given uh, he's been given the all you know the go ahead after he got tested negative. I've had to reshuffle my squad a bit. I'm still on the wild card. Cancelo, Justin, and Kilman are my back three. Um, John McKinn is a cheaper alternative to uh, Jack Creelish because uh, I can't afford him with the team I currently have. And with Ross Barkley going 
out of uh, out of the team with with a hamstring injury i expect mcgin to push up a little more uh, further than he's been playing over the last couple of game weeks i still have i mean i i brought in son and put out kane because i felt son at this point is a bit fixture proof with how good um, spurs are looking the game against chelsea is a tricky one their fixtures after doing it easier they have arsenal at home they have Crystal Palace away and then they have the dreaded Liverpool fixture away at Anfield where traditionally they don't do too well then they've got Leicester at home which I feel is a is when you need to start bringing in your Spurs assets back in uh, my front three are Vardy, Bamford and Calvert-Lewin uh, and I think Bamford at this point is, is more or less fixture proof purely because of the number of chances Leeds are getting I think he has the highest non-penalty for those who care. The highest non-penalty XG of any striker in the league, Patrick Bamford, and he's only at, at six point one currently. So if you're looking for a cheaper alternative, uh, and if you want someone that's not Ollie Watkins, Bamford is the way to go. Of course, there's Calvert Lewin, who is still, who Ancelotti has turned into a world beater, and he's been doing exceptionally well. But I'm not sure how. The loss of Lucas Dina, who had a serious ankle injury that was reported earlier today, is going to affect him because Dina is one that keeps bombing down the right and providing him with crosses. Hamez has been a bit hot and cold uh, over the last few weeks. He's not returned in the last six, so that could be a problem. But yes, if I were to make a transfer this week, and if you have Kane, I would I would swap him out for Vardy. The fixtures look good. I would start bringing in City assets because they aren't going to be atrocious forever. Um, Kevin De Bruyne was rested against um, uh, for City's game against uh, Olympiacos, I think they played. He scrappy 1-0 win with Foden scoring from a sterling pass. And De Bruyne was, didn't travel, so which means I expect him to be completely fresh and fit for the weekend. There is one caveat with Kevin De Bruyne against Burnley specifically because he has... Only one assist in the last eight, and I think Sterling has about two returns in the last eight. So if you're looking to captain Kevin De Bruyne or any City assets, I would advise caution because as much as City like uh, giving Burnley five nils and four nils, it very rarely is Kevin De Bruyne in amongst the goals. If I were to like pick a dark horse captain choice for the week, I'd go Jesus. There's no real return date on Aguero coming back. He doesn't look good. Um, kind of looks overweight. Right? I kind of mentioned that in the, last, in the last podcast. And yes, that should be it. I do want to... Um, if you, I mean, people are still choosing to go Bruno against Southampton, which I believe is going to be... It, it has more than one goal in it because Southampton press high, the United can't defend. Um, so it's just... I sense goals in that fixture, so if you were to look for a smart captain choice there, Bruno is definitely the answer. He has not gone two game weeks without registering a return. I would pick Bruno if like if you have him, great. I, I currently don't, not in my current wildcard in my in my wildcard team, and I can't afford him, so I'm probably going to like ride out um uh son through the next set of fixtures. Actually, now that I think about it. It all depends on how well Son does in the next two game weeks. I most definitely want him out for Liverpool because 
I don't trust Spurs to get the job done against Liverpool. Liverpool are instituted, let's be honest. They're when they when they start, it's very difficult to get them to stop. To like to even break them down. So that's kind of when I'd probably want to shift out Son to a United asset, preferably Rashford, because that's what I can currently afford. But let's see. Yep, and that's about it. That's this week's episode. I'm so glad you're still tuning in. I honestly didn't expect the response I got after the last one. It kind of motivates me to keep doing more and more. I know I initially said this would be a bi-weekly podcast, but without a second host and generally a lot of work on my hands, it's difficult to produce two of these a week. Because uh, Currently, it's just me recording, uh, editing, and then putting it out onto my artist's feed and Spotify and whatnot. So for a while, this will be a weekly podcast while I work on more uh, on my other podcast, which I'd mentioned previously. The one that um, I'm currently working on is a film podcast where the first episode will be looking back on the social network. It's 10 years since the social, since the social network released. And I personally feel it is one of the definitive films uh, of the 2010s. So look forward to that. That should be out mid-December. The next few weeks are a little hectic, so that obviously requires a lot of research because I want to make sure the podcast is um, is worth your time, right? So that should be out mid-December, and I will be back again next week with the third edition of this, and hopefully my fantasy team is doing better, and I make up for, and I kind of make up for lost points. Goodbye. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.